Digigods podcast of 2016 is underway. I am back once again with Tim Cogshell. Thank you, Tim. I am so glad to be here. I'm not exactly a digigod. I'm more like a you know demigod. You're digi demigod. Well, you're part of the synagogues. <laughs> who that endlessly delayed website is still coming. Uh, so hang on, everybody. Websites always take longer than anticipated, and the holidays certainly put us off our game. Uh, really quickly, send us your emails and your uh, new intro suggestions by all means to gods at digigods.com. Send us Vox boxes if you could. And uh, we'll, we're uh, you know getting our, our act together for 2016. Mark will be back next week. And uh, we had a good awards show last week. Yes. It was a good dinner. Look, it, it, it's it, always a good it's dinner. Alaska, you know. What are you same, do? Same, same food every year. You know, uh, Mark all often will feed me uh, some strange confection that he cooks up in his, uh, in his cauldron. You are feeding me these really funky snacks today. This is really nice. Almond pops with blueberries. Fantastic stuff, Matt. I think they might even be gluten-free. You know what? They are gluten-free, and they taste better than anything Mark has ever baked for me. <laughs> there we go. I'm sure he'll listen to the show, and he's probably screaming, what? Several <laughs> Octaves higher than that right now. Um, you know, uh, people have been dying. We didn't talk about this last week, but people have been dying like crazy. I mean, we lost Vilmos Zygmunt. Oh, yes. We lost Haskell Wexler. Yes, two of the it's, great, uh, it, cinematographers. great cinematographers of all time. And we've just been losing all kinds of celebrities left and right. It's just been... been Really, I mean, I know it happens every year. Sure, sure, it does. Die, but it just feels like a lot at once, doesn't it? And, 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 and they happen to be people who I have, we have these sort of particular identifications for because they were so pitiful in, in, in many of the films and much of the work that you know we've been looking at for years and years and years. These guys, and these were pivotal. Haskell Wexler wasn't just a great cinematographer; he was a groundbreaking cinematographer. Yeah, you know, he was one of the first guys to get that camera off the tripod. Yeah, you know, put it on his shoulder. Uh, and, and, and and go with it, you know. Uh, you know, Fat City. And, I mean, and a, and a filmmaker as well. Yeah, you and know? a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very pivotal figure, and and Vilmos Zygmunt, you know, just I mean, apart from Close Encounters, you know, his life was amazing. I mean, he left, you know, when when the Prague Spring happened. I mean, he was, you know, he fled communism and kind of came here along with uh, Laszlo Kovacs, yeah. and they worked on nudie cuties and Doris Wishman movies, and uh, you know. Uh, all these little exploitation films from the 60s and it's funny you watch some of those movies and you know when we made schlock uh you remember this we we watched some of those clips of like it was it was something that herschel gordon lewis and david friedman had done it was like a a girl with no pants on a swing swinging into the camera swinging into the <laughs> lens and and i remember we were thinking okay whoever's pulling focus on her butt cheeks as they come into the lens <laughs> is doing a brilliant job and we know it's either Laszlo Kovacs or Vilmo Sigmund. Yeah, you know. That's how they started. And they were that good. They, they, they were good no matter what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah lost a few. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. stuff. Um, 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 so I don't know. What are we going to do here? Let's let's jump into... Uh, we have a few uh, newer movies uh, that we didn't get to last week and we uh, after that we got a lot of music and... Um, Classic movies. We got library and catalog stuff and documentaries to get to, and and we got we got some good stuff, and we should kind of get ourselves back up and running this week. So uh, that is an interesting film. Yeah, the M Night M Night here. Yeah. Let's let's talk about it bit, because bit of a comeback for him in a certain sort of way. Yeah. We're talking about the visit here. I'm holding Blu-ray uh, in my hand. All right, so you know M Night, the Sixth Synth 
Uh, you, you, you. Actually, I'm, a, I'm an Unbreakable guy, too. A lot of people are you not... You and I both. Yeah. I thought Unbreakable was his other really good film, and everything since then has been kind then of... Then I'm kind of done. Yeah, I'm kind of done, and that's like 20 years on, you know. But then he does this little thing. Now, this is a low-budget movie. Well, he's so, gone in with the Blumhouse guys, Jason Blum. Uh, yeah, paranormal activity, activities yeah. and all these sort of little things. So, so it's almost like he's... It, it, which is weird. It is. This is as if... This is kind of like as if the guy who did The Sixth Sense has resigned himself to the fact that he now needs to go to... You know, uh, Toby Hooper uh, to to resurrect his career. It's Roger a weird, Corman, you know, trying to get a gig yeah, from Roger Corman. It's a weird reversal of fortune, particularly when when he's doing what they do, as opposed mm. to bringing what he does to them. Um, you know, nevertheless, this movie works in a certain sort of way. It's a small movie. It has a little twist at the end. Yeah, I think it gives it up fairly early on in the movie. I kind of figured it's, out what's going no, on. It's out very of the obvious. Whatever, it's know, very 30, obvious. Thirty thirty five minutes into the movie, and uh, you know, it knocks a good performance. I will give it. I will give it that. The visit uh, on the Blu Ray here. What do you got? Uh, alternate ending, which strikes me as interesting because you know this film sort of depends on the ending. All well, M Night movies depend on the ending. It, it, we, we should point out as well. This is basically a um, a kind of a found footage movie. It's about a couple of kids who go to spend some time with the grandparents that they've never met. Okay. If you're a moron, then, <laughs> then stop right now and, and you'll avoid the spoilers because emphasis on the grandparents they've, they've never, never met. met. Yeah. That, that's the, 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 if that isn't a giveaway, then I'm sorry. You, you just lost your human race card. Who happen to live far out on a farm where there's no their, internet you know, service their mom, and no phone service. Their mom left home when she was young and pregnant and barefoot and for whatever reason <laughs> anyway. So they've never met their grandparents. And apparently they've never even seen a picture of their grandparents. And apparently there's no... I mean, it's like the whole... The, the plot holes in this thing are just relentlessly ridiculous. Mm. But... Um, it, and the girl is like she's shooting this as a you know and putting the camera in ridiculous places to make a, a like a video essay of their visit with their grandparents. Yeah, whatever. Um, there's one moment in this that I think is genuinely creepy, funny, scary. Uh, which that, is that thing under the under the porch? It's, it's, no, it's when it, well that that's not bad. That's not bad. It's all involving grandma. Oh yeah, but yeah, the, oh, but I the, know, yeah, 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 you know what I'm talking yeah, about. It's the 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 mantle moment. Yeah. But um, you know, it it yeah, it has a few fun moments, but it just it's 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 really not it's nothing. Good performance is not in the service of much. Uh, the, yeah. the, the Blu-ray, uh, DVD, digital HD, uh, alternate ending, deleted scenes, uh, the making of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah it's fine. All right, um, got a got a funky movie here called Hell and Back, and um, this, these are re- I really like these almond pops. <laughs> I really <laughs> do. Whole grain brown rice, gluten free. That has no business tasting even like food. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't taste bad. In one one eighty snacks dot com. I'm going to see if they want to sponsor the podcast. We'll get a bunch of free ones. <laughs> anyway, uh, no hell and back is uh, is a, a an R rated um, an R rated stop motion animated uh, movie that is. Uh, Bit of a bit of a trip. I don't want to say that it's like t- it's uh, Team America isn't right. Um, Team America is is uh, marionettes. It's not mm. stop motion, but yeah. it has a certain I guess, it has a certain South Parky quality to it, which uh, reminded me a little bit of that. Is that the um, thing with Mila Kunis and everybody? 
uh, um, doing, doing the voices in, in Helen Bagger. Did Mila Kunis do a voice in I this? Think, she I did. Think, yes, she did. You're right. I, yeah, well, I, Bob I, Odenkirk is, is the obvious one. Mila, Mila Kunis, I wouldn't know her voice. But Nick Swardson, I recognize Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Danny, uh, Danny uh, McBride does a voice in this. And Susan Sarandon, those are the ones that I recognize. Yeah, Mila Kunis, for sure. Uh, no, it's, it's essentially a, uh, about a couple of guys who uh, break their blood oath and uh, the anyway, they, they wind up having to, to fight demons in hell. It is uh, it is a pretty wild and trippy movie. Um, not as funny as it should be, but I, I gotta say, when you get this wild and crazy and raunchy, and uh, you know the 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 devil clearly is uh, borrowed kind of half from the South Park movie and kind of half from the demon in uh, Ridley Scott's Legend. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's enjoyable in a certain way. It it pushes a lot of buttons, but it doesn't really go overboard. So I uh, I think this is kind of a fun movie. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Well, the devil is in that movie. This one's called The Green Inferno. Eli Roth film. Oh dear. Director's cut. This is the this is the cannibal thing. This is the cannibal film. Yeah. yeah these these people they go off to South America, Central, wherever they go there, and and their their intention is to document this lost tribe and try to see if they can do something to save this tribe. They end up uh, becoming mostly food for this tribe, mm-hmm. and it's one of these hor- horrifying things that Eli Roth likes to do. It's a bit of a throwback to those sort of middle seventies uh, sort of films uh, from that era that were kind of creepy and interesting. Look, the the, the whole hostile, you know, Eli Roth sort of. Thing. That's a particular thing, and I know folks like it. Yeah, you know, I know that there's a that there's an audience for this stuff. It wears insanely thin on me. Yeah. You know, you can only cover baloney and so much ketchup and make it look like entrails and yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and it have people. Anyway, this has a this, this does have a commentary track on it from mm-hmm. a writer director. And it, you know, what's odd to me is that you know, for an Eli Roth film, Eli is you know he's been around for a while now. Didn't get that much of a release this movie. No, no, not really. It was very limited, very yeah. limited, and, and and probably smart too because DVD and Blu-ray is where these movies really do their business. Exactly with the yeah. with the fans. So there yeah. it is. Uh, so, uh, interesting little uh, movie. It's, it's, it's not really a faith-based film. These things are coming out fast and furious all the time now. This is called Valley Inn. It has kind of a faithy quality to it, but you know what? Good cast, including David Lansbury, Natalie Canarday, and most importantly, uh, Joey Lauren Adams, who uh, has not been this, this really wonderful or endearing since Chasing Amy. I gotta say, I, she, I just haven't seen Joey Lauren in so long. It, she just kind of went away. She showed up in a couple of movies since then, but she's wonderful here. She's aged really well. She's a better actress than ever. And uh, I thought she was terrific. Um, I thought she was really, really terrific in this. Joy, the, Joy Lauren, of course, of uh, many Kevin Smith films. Chasing, Chasing Amy, Amy and, and, uh, and others. Um, basically, the story of a young woman who uh, kind of a, uh, it takes place in Arkansas. It's kind of a fish-out-of-water thing. Uh, she's you know, going, getting a summer job to sell uh, Christian books. But um, there's, a, there's this, uh, this Ozark rodeo event um, and um, some interesting, let's just say some obviously some good character stuff that transpires as her life changes through this uh, through this particular uh, this one summer. It's always a summer. It's never a spring. It's always something <laughs> happened one summer. You ever notice that? Anyway, crazy uh, things happen. Nicely photographed, uh, you know, uh, really well directed by a couple, Krim, Kim Swink and Chris Spencer, um, and um, I think it'll probably. Uh, You'll probably probably do pretty well on DVD. It's this is from from Monarch and features a song that was uh, written and performed, believe it or not, by um, co-performed by Mary and co-written by Mary Steenburgen. Ah. 
So, yeah, so uh, that's a nice little movie called Valley Inn. Nice little kind of Arkansas rural. And you know what? I appreciated the fact that it makes Arkansas look appealing because Arkansas has been the butt of so many jokes for so many years. I, I, was, I, was, I was stationed in Arkansas. I was in the Air Force. It's for a pretty years. state. I was stationed in the, Air Force, in, in, in the Air Force in Arkansas during the period when Bill Clinton was the governor Really? Of Arkansas. He was the governor. As a matter of fact, when I was stationed in Arkansas, at the very first time, Bill Clinton was the 26-year-old attorney general. Oh, my goodness. 26 years old. He was the attorney general of Arkansas. Holy cow. And then he got elected governor when he was like 30, 31, 32, or something like that. <laughs> and I just happened to be there. It was the weirdest thing in the world. So when he ran for president many years later, you know, a decade later, I was like, oh, Bubba. That's Bubba. <laughs> so he, he was Bubba already back then. Oh, he was. we called him Bubba. I just yes. meet him all. I see him all the time. Of course, you know he was thirty years old. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I was just like, you know, Bubba. That's it, Bubba. Um, uh, I have in my hands here a Blu-ray: Luke Goss, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Liddell, and Mickey Rourke. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a manly cast. Right that's there. a lot of that's a lot of sweat. Now this is called War Pigs. It's a World War II drama, you know, action movie. Which is an interesting thing. You don't see many of those World the, War II movies. The, the Dirty Dozen thing. The Dirty Dozen kind of thing. Like, yeah. And that's what these guys are doing in, in this movie. They're, you know, the, the, they're a group of misfits, disgraced guys who, who did something wrong, and now they have a, an opportunity to, to redeem themselves and go on a mission that they're probably not going to make it back from. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, and it's one of those, hey, look, these guys all look great with 5 o'clock shadow. They always look great with those with those bowl helmets, you know, that the... the, 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 the uh, Patton used to wear, uh, you know, and they can they can hold they can hold that cigar hanging out of one corner of their mouth <laughs> while still mm -hmm. smoking it and firing <laughs> a, a machine gun from the hip. So you know, it's like one of those Tim Thomerson movies yeah. from back in the from back in the nineties. Uh, War Pigs looks pretty good. Not much on this thing, but like I said, Luke Goss, Dolph Lundgren. And Mickey Rourke. You know, these guys are worth a, for oh, a fortune they in, make in, in terms of we, reselling movies in the foreign market. That's we, the reason why they keep making movies. And Dolph Lundgren keeps uh, directing them, too. Uh, uh, Mark and I interviewed Dolph Lundgren uh, at one point for one of those things, and he directs these things like two or three a year. You know, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. You know, a movie that also fell off of the uh, awards radar, which I didn't really understand, but apparently they didn't really push it. Um, Michael Almereda's Experimenter, yeah. which is out on uh, Blu-ray from Magnolia. Magnolia doesn't do a, a whole lot pushing their stuff for, for awards. You know, it's funny, too, because every year, you know what this is like. From, from certain distributors, the studios, from Weinstein Company, Fox Searchlight, they will send us these lovely screeners of the movies, and they have little custom packaging, and they'll usually come maybe with a little persuasion of some kind. It's, it, it basically says, watch me, look at me, I'm a lovely movie. And then you will get like a slop bucket filled with DVDRs <laughs> that are wrapped together in twine, and that's that's usually IFC or Magnolia, yeah. and they just, they just like they don't care. It's like here, take a look, find something you like it, you know, vote for maybe it, whatever. with a typed list of the movies <laughs> that that are in the thing like it's just horrible. So you know, it's it's hard to sort of dig out the Magnolia and IFC stuff, but. Um, Experimenter is a really interesting film, and it may be Michael Almereda's best film. Michael Almereda, of course, kind of a David Lynch acolyte, has I'm made. I'm a big fan. Independent filmmaker. Love that. Uh, love that vampire movie he did. Nadia. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, One of the best. Of, and, and frankly, I kind of dug his that that Hamlet that he did, a modern day Ethan Hawke Hamlet. But they're all very under the radar. Yeah. You know, they're very under the radar. And this one is still under the radar, but it feels more commercial. The the story behind Experimenter, it's very contained, but it's a really interesting story. It stars Peter Sarsgaard um, as Stanley Milgram, 
And Stanley Milgram, for those who don't know, in 1961, Stanley Milgram was a Yale uh, researcher who conducted this really, a Yale psychology professor and researcher who conducted this really fascinating experiment where he wanted to essentially, uh, for very personal but also professional reasons, he wanted to understand how something like the Holocaust could happen. How could so many decent people merely follow and conform to something that they knew was horrible? So the experiment basically involved um, having people in adjacent rooms, um, one of them doing what they thought was delivering shocks, electrical mm. shocks to the person in the other room. And they're supposed to do it until the uh, character played by, Mil by Sarsgaard, Milgram, until Milgram says stop. And of course you start to hear the person screaming and then they don't scream. You think they've passed out. And the question is, is that person going to continue giving shocks that they know are harmful simply because this authority figure is telling you don't stop, keep doing it. And it's fascinating where this goes. Winona Ryder comes back in a, in a really mm -hmm. wonderful supporting performance here. Um, and it is, a, it is a really, really intriguing series of experiments. And, it's, and there's a story to it as well, a really fascinating story. Um, and it gives you a lot of insight into Milgram. Jim Gaffigan is, is a wonderful, uh, wonderful colleague who, who's involved in the experiments. Um, but what's, what's particularly interesting, it goes into these weird psychological kind of fantasy sequences. You know, when you see him walking down the hallway... Of, uh, of their Yale building followed by an elephant, you realize that there's something very diff different going on. And um, I, I think Al is onto something really intriguing here, uh, kind of, you know, telling us something psychological in a psychological way. Um, it's not commercial enough to be uh, awards worthy, but it's also not, um, it's not so artsy that it shouldn't have been. So I, I'm a little disappointed it isn't really getting more attention. But if you have a chance, check out Experimenter with Peter Sarsgaard and Winona Ryder. Uh, I'd say the best film Michael Almereta has ever made. And you, you know, some of these little films I would have thought might have popped up uh, during the Independent Spirit Awards. Yeah, uh, sort they of didn't. Uh, but they didn't pop up at all yeah. like that, which kind of blows me away. Because that's, yeah. that's, the place, that's the place for those movies, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, I got a little film here called Stock Option. This was actually a television movie. Neat little movie, kind of like a, you know, kind of like one of these uh, you know African American films with uh, some familiar folks in it. You have this guy, uh, kind of like what was that movie Will Smith did? If you Pursuit of Happiness, where, yeah, you know, yeah. it's based on a true story, right? Sort of a situation like that. You got this guy who's a stockbroker, and things go very badly for him because he does a bad deal. He ends up homeless on the street. He happens to be on the street in front of this very uh, high-profile fashion agency, modeling agency, and and, and he saves uh, a very top-end fashion model from mm -hmm. something terrible happening to her and uh, and she takes a liking to him and and then she gives him uh, her she he gives her some stock advice and she takes it and uses it and just, uh, rebuilds it. Well, it's one of those kind of things actually kind of cute full of, full of cute people little movie television movie stock option absolutely nothing on this dvd not a blu-ray just a dvd you know what i like most about this movie hmm. 77 minutes long <laughs> 77 <laughs> minutes i gotta tell you I, that I, I dig that i like that that's in there and out of there baby well, just three minutes longer, mercifully, <laughs> is Guidance. Uh, Guidance got a little bit of attention last year. This is a Strand release. Um, and here's the backstory on this movie. The, this is a, a Canadian independent film written and directed by Pat Mills. Pat Mills was a major child star in Canada decades ago and then just kind of vanished off the face of the, the earth and has since come back with a fury as a very funny writer, director, and star in this case. And, and he's not that old. What is he? Maybe 40, 35, Yeah, he's like 40, 40 something yeah, like that. Yeah. And he, he, he basically plays himself. This is very autobiographical here. He, he plays a guy who used to be a child star, 
whose life is completely falling apart. And he, um, he finagles his way into becoming a high school guidance counselor, even though he's completely unqualified for it. It's a, it's a, bit, it's a fascinating scam how he, how he does it. He like fakes this resume and a whole thing, and he's the worst guidance counselor ever. He'll like he he gives them horrible advice. The kids are like <laughs> smoking weed. He's like, let me give you some better weed. It's just it's it's just he's horrible. And you know the the the, the girls don't know if they should have sex with the boyfriend. The things he tells them, it's just off the chart terrible. Um, and he becomes sort of beloved, and it, it, it's it's quite a it's quite a vanity project. Clearly, he wrote and directed this for himself to sort of resurrect his career late in life and to become a comic icon again. But that said, it really kind of works. And uh, this was a bit of a bit of a, an underground hit at the um, uh, Toronto Film Festival. And uh, you know what? I I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of the uh, new improved Pat Mills. So Pat Mills, former Canadian child star in Guidance. Um, actually, quite funny. Yeah, years ago, Michael Michael J Michael another Canadian, uh, Jay Fox made a yeah. movie called Life with Mikey. Mm-hmm. It was a big studio movie, yeah. and, and, he, and he was you know playing like playing playing a guy who had been a you know a, a child star when he was a yeah. little kid. Now he was an agent for for oh, child stars, and that was just I don't know what I always thought it was the coolest movie. It was kind of like at the back end of that sort of Michael mm-hmm. J Fox period. You know, going to knock out some of these uh, documentaries here. Let's do it. Let's jump into the documentary. Because I really, really wanted to talk about this particular. Let's film. do it. It's about really Mal- important. He named me Malala. About Malala Yousafzai, uh, the young woman, uh, girl, really, who was shot in the face at you know, an attempted assassination. In Afghanistan. Uh, in, in Afghanistan. Uh, was it Pakistan or Afghanistan? It was. It was. It was by the Taliban. Yeah, it was by the Taliban. It was Al- yeah. Yeah, So, so it, it was one of those. It was one of those moments where her father, who is the extraordinary figure in this film, she's extraordinary. She's every bit as extraordinary as as this movie makes her out to be. As she seems to be in the world of media, when you've seen her around giving all those wonderful speeches, I believe she received the Nobel Prize. All of that. She she's an extraordinary young lady. That's for sure. <laughs> But her father is also an extraordinary character in this. Her father is the man who wanted to give his daughter an education. He wanted to make sure his daughter had an education every bit as good as his son's education. And ultimately, that was the reason why they came and, and, and attempted to kill her, because she was, you know, was going to yeah. be an educated girl. Uh, but her father stood bef- and still stands. He's, I mean, he's fine. He's still alive. Stands beside her all the time. So he's the extraordinary figure that I think here. This man who pushing back against all of society, pushing back against his family, who wanted something for his daughter and then his daughter rose to the occasion. Yeah. So uh, this is a wonderful documentary. You know what I like most about um, mm. uh, about Malala? Mm. She's a C student. <laughs> She's a C student. Yeah. She gets C's. You know what? It is a wonderful story. Uh, she is so courageous and that's the thing that, that is really stirring is is how unflappable she is. Uh, especially for her age and living where she is, it makes me feel like a wimp. I just think I, the things that I bitch and moan about on a daily basis, I got no business. I really yeah, don't. Yeah. I have no. I have no cause. Uh, and talking about courage, another another courageous woman, a brave heart. The Lizzie Velasquez story. Um, this is another one that is just so inspiring. Um, Lizzie Velasquez, uh, Elizabeth Velasquez, suffers from this uh, this very incredibly rare chromosomal disease that basically prevents her from gaining weight. So even as, a, as, a, as an infant, she was like skin and bones. Mm. But she's not, she's not dying. She just can't gain weight. She's at a certain level, and she, you know, she looks just like skin wrapped around a skeleton. She looks like she's starving, like she's emaciated. Um, but she's wonderful, and she's warm, and she became famous because of a TED Talk that really went crazy viral. And this mm. is her story. 
And it's primarily not just about dealing with her, her uh, disability, but it's about uh, dealing with bullying because w- she was bullied so mercilessly on the Internet. Um, they put up, like, YouTubes of, of her as the world's ugliest woman. And, I mean, it was ruthless. And it makes you realize that our technology does not necessarily make us better. Mm. We may be more sophisticated with our technology, but it sometimes makes us worse. And... Uh, she just turned around and uh, through the, the TED Talk and through all of her activism, she has just been this foremost activist to give people uh, confidence and inspire them and just say, stand up to this and don't let this make us worse people. And it is a, it is a very powerful story. She is really extraordinary. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's on DVD from uh, Cinedime, uh, A Brave Heart, the Lizzie Velasquez story. Really, really highly Another recommended. Another story of an outstandingly strong young woman. Yep. Uh, this, this is an interesting thing, showrunners. A showrunner, uh, for folks who don't live in Los Angeles like Wade and I, is the person who usually creates, but, but whether they create it or not, runs a television show. They're usually the chief writer of the television show, at least the head writer of the television show. They are the primary producer of the television show, and very often they actually direct episodes of the television show. It's often been said that being a showrunner is the hardest job in Hollywood. Certainly being a showrunner yeah, is harder sure. than being a director. We, In Hollywood, we very often give you know uh, the greatest props to major directors, major motion picture directors. Very true. But i got to tell you, uh, any showrunner will tell you, or anybody who's ever worked on a television program, I've known many showrunners in, in my day, will tell you, running on a television show is just about the hardest job you can possibly do. Yeah, it's a grind. In Hollywood. This is called The Showrunner. This is a document of the art of running a TV show. you got J.J. Abrams and... Hart Hansen and Damian Lindoff and, uh, and Josh Wheaton and many more folks who have created some of the most iconic television programs of the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, uh, or so. Uh, and, uh, and they're all in this documentary, and they, you know, they talk about what they do and how it's done. It's really, really an interesting behind-the-scenes kind of thing, which I find extremely intriguing. When you and I were growing up, Wade, there were these names that were, you know, I grew up in the, you grew up here, but I grew yeah. up in the Midwest, so there were certain names. Uh, of, of showrunners, you know, a such and such show, yeah. Irwin Allen, whoever it happened to be, sure. and they became these sort of iconic right through, you know, the Botchko years and the David yeah. E. Kelly years, and and these people's names uh, today it would be Donald P. Belisario, Belisario, uh, yeah. Belisario. Yeah. You got, I think Stephen J. Cannell, I think he passed away not too long ago. Oh, I, I guess he did. I yeah. think Stephen did uh, go. So, yeah. uh, so that's what that's yeah. what these people are. They're the people who have shaped the way television looks and sounds. Uh, you know, which is really a cultural. They they've been shaping the culture of America, you know, since the since the invention yeah. of television. The Very showrunners. True. That's what they're called. Showrunners. That's what this doc is about. Not a lot of behind the scenes stuff here, but it's interesting. It's a PBS. Uh, the showrunners. The art of running a TV show. So I've got an interesting trio here, kind of a little religious theme that goes through all of them. Uh, two of them are PBS. One of them is a PBS uh, DVDs, and the other one is a uh, National Geographic uh, Blu-ray. Uh, one is Secrets of Noah's Ark. This is a Nova uh, documentary from PBS, uh, which uh, tries to get into the sort of the the histori- historicity of the uh, story of Noah's Ark, um, going all the way back to a, uh, a 1948 discovery of this ancient inscription, presumably telling the story of uh, you know a, a a flood that is part of Sumerian mythology. And from there begins this detective work, this investigation into whether or not this is simply religious mythology or whether or not there is something more to it, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, great team of uh, people that they put together at NOVA, as they always do, to go out and uh, try to actually 
um, reconstruct the the whole concept of the Ark and a real Ark and uh, and and build one, frankly. And it's it's really interesting. Um, gets into all kinds of interesting nautical uh, things that I never even understood. And you know, I come from Viking stocks. So I'm, <laughs> I'm supposed to know about boats and things. Uh, speaking of that, also another one from PBS. This is an American Experience doc, uh, The Pilgrims. Uh, by Rick Burns, the brother of Ken Burns. And um, nothing particularly new here, to be honest. I mean, this is stuff that we all learned in uh, elementary school about the pilgrims and Plymouth Rock and Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's it's the usual, the usual drill of all that stuff. But uh, Rick Burns does it a little bit differently. He gives it uh, kind of a more dramatic veneer. And, uh, you, you know, an, an interesting kind of... Um, an interesting performance, we should say here, by Roger Rees, who plays William Bradford, uh, that um, gives us a more vibrant, like, you were there, fly on the wall feeling of, uh, of what exactly motivated, you know, a hundred people, which is all they were. It was just a hundred people. I mean, mm-hmm. we forget the pilgrims. We, this wasn't like a fleet of people. This was a hundred people. Yeah. It was kind of a, which, is, which makes it a much more daunting endeavor than, than I think we might imagine. And then uh, also there's a, uh, this fascinating National Geographic um, film that narrated by Benedict Cumberbatch, who seems to be doing everything these days, that was released theatrically uh, on IMAX screens in 3D. You can get it now as a, Blu-ray, a 3D Blu-ray with a regular Blu-ray on the same disc, uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, this city is in the news and has been in the news every day for thousands of years and will likely continue to be for another thousand years. Um, but this gives you not just a, a visual appreciation for the city and its history and its location and its heritage, uh, but helps put it into context that helps us understand why it is, it is um, such a, a hot spot and such a, a center of controversy and strife and, and so much, such political, uh, such a hotbed of, of political and religious activity these days. Uh, this really puts it into context, and it is it is beautiful to look at, and it is informative, and it is wonderful, and it includes a great commentary by the director, Daniel Ferguson, as well as another commentary by the archaeologist, Jody Magnus, and then a bunch of uh, deleted scenes and additional featurettes and interviews and things of that sort. Uh, it is it is wonderful. It is really, really wonderful, and, and the photography is just beyond belief. So that is Jerusalem, originally filmed for IMAX, but it looks just as good. I would say in uh, on your it, not even in 3D, just regular Blu-ray looks just as good. Yeah, prob- probably better than 3D actually. I, I have this PBS documentary Althea, which I saw when it was actually on PBS, and it's it's just amazing lady, an, an amazing lady, an amazing story, individuals of so, you know Harlem tough gal growing yeah. up in Harlem and and uh, you know coming to tennis the way she came to tennis, which was through a you know a fairly circuitous route and all that kind of stuff. In addition to to, to her personal story. Which we get, and you know, in the, the tough times, you know, all of her awards mm-hmm. and accolades and all of that, and then tough times later, particularly through the '80s. I met her once in about 1982 wow. or three or something wow. like that. I'm a bit of a tennis freak. People who follow my Facebook <laughs> posts will know that I have a. But but one of the things that this documentary revealed that I don't think most people know is that there's a very very long history, particularly in the sort of culturated sort of uh, black classes, the sort of elite black classes of people playing lawn tennis. Black, black folks were playing tennis, lawn tennis, and whites and everything. You know, in the in the early 1900s in New York, they had private private tennis clubs. The black elite, doctors, lawyers, architects, and that's folks fascinating. Like that, even all down south. I remember my grandmother introduced me to tennis 
when I was, oh, I think, nine years old. Isn't that interesting? And, and it was just an, it was an amazing thing. So, you know, it was always sort of a funny thing. It was also these, these sort of ideas about things that, mm-hmm. you know, and we had Althea and we had Arthur Ashe, yeah. of course. But in fact, there was a long, long history of this. This is a great documentary, very good, lots of historical footage. It's one of the, part of the American Master series. Beautiful. Lovely film. Oh, dropped all kinds of stuff there. Uh, but uh, pick it up if you get a chance. Check it out if you get a chance. And uh, oh, Unity, the uh, the Latin tribute to Michael Jackson. This thing, uh, this th- this was a concert that got very little attention. Uh, I didn't certainly know about it until the, until this thing showed up. But um, you know, it, it's uh, it's really interesting seeing a lot of Latin artists perform uh, Michael Jackson uh, tunes. It really is. There's a whole different. You realize how 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 versatile those songs are, right? Yeah, and I got to tell you, you know, we we forget now. You know, we think about Mikey over the course of the years and all this, that, and the other, and, and, and the other thing. I went to Michael Jackson. Jackson's funeral. I actually attended I his remember funeral, that. Um, which was yeah. That's a whole story in and of itself. How I ended up attending his funeral. I went to cover his funeral yeah. as, a, as a journalist, but something wacky went down, and I ended up attending his funeral. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to tell you, Staples Center, seventy thousand people. You could hear a pin drop in yeah. that place. That was that, that. That's you know. I mean, it was just an absolutely fabulous thing. And Michael had a deep and penetrating. Effect on lots of people all over yeah. the world, you know. So that doesn't surprise me at all over there. Yeah. Another PBS documentary, American Commandante. This was really interesting to me. There was this guy uh, whose name was William Alexander Morgan, right? Yeah, uh, he's an American, and in the uh, you know during the Bay of Pigs and the 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 the, the, uh, uh, the Batista regime regime in Havana and all of that. Uh, che, uh, the Castro brothers. He became involved with the rebels, and he became an American uh, Commandante. Uh, the, who was engaged in the overthrow of the uh, of that government in the in, in Cuba? He was renowned uh, for many many years, along with Che and all of these other people. Now he was caught and executed in 1961, and sort of fell out of popular culture. People sort of forgot who he was. That's the Castro brothers went on to do everything that they did, and when the embargo went into place, and we've had all of the history that we've had in Cuba over the last, you know, I guess 50 years now, yeah. more, more than 50 years oh, now. Yeah. So people have just for, sort of forgotten about this guy. But he was a very interesting fellow along the lines of L. Ron Hubbard in a certain sort of way. That's weird. It's, it's, it's sort of w- the way his yeah. mind worked. Anyway, uh, it sort of fell out of the uh, uh, popular zeitgeist. But it, it, it's an interesting story. It's another one of the uh, American experience uh, PBS series as opposed to the American Master series. American Commandante, uh, the uh, William Alexander Morgan story. Check it out. A lot of fun. Cool. Uh, we're going to go move into some music now. I think we're done with the docs, right? Do we yeah, I think I'm done. All right. So we're going to move into the music. I'm going to uh, get all this classical stuff and opera out of the way so that Mark doesn't ride me like a, <laughs> like a pony next week. Um, we got a new version of the Nutcracker, the Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, which is just fantastic. This is beautiful. This is all by the uh, the opera and the ballet uh, troops in in uh, Berlin, and um, really wonderfully staged. Fantastic. I always enjoy the Nutcracker. Uh, it's not just a seasonal thing. It's just it's just really really cool. And uh, you know, I I'm not a huge ballet fan, but I, I like it done really really well. And uh, that also includes Napoli. This is from Opus Arte. This is also on Blu-ray, um, which uh, this is the uh, Royal Danish Ballet. And, uh, you know, uh, they're, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not enough of an aficionado to tell you who's great and who's not, but they look like they're pretty great. And this is really nicely done. Um, Napoli is, was uh, written in uh, 1842. And uh, it's not widely performed, but it's, uh, it is absolutely lovely. 
And then we also have Cinderella, the Prokofiev uh, ballet, which is, uh, this is a double play Blu-ray DVD combo from Marinsky, with two eyes, uh, distributed by Naxos, uh, like all the rest of these, actually. And um, uh, this is the uh, Marinsky Ballet and Orchestra, beautifully, beautifully done. Um, Cinderella is, you know, easily on par with the Nutcracker, and Prokofiev is always just great. And then we have uh, Puccini's Turandot, the uh, the amazing opera. My favorite of these is still the one that was uh, staged by Zhang Yimou some years ago when he did his live version of Turandot. In China? In China. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. It was just really amazing. But uh, this is also very, very good. And um, worth checking out. This is with the uh, Vienna uh, Symphony Orchestra conducted by Paolo Carignani and staged by Marco Arturo Marelli. This is the, from the... Uh, Bregenzer Fest, uh, part of the uh, Unitel Classics line of uh, uh, C major. And then um, a couple other C major uh, titles here. Uh, Verdi's Aida from the Teatro alla Scala. We got a lot of those regularly, directed by uh, Peter Stein. Uh, And then the um, Bernard Heitink uh, conducting Hector Berlioz Symphony Fantastique with the Royal Royal Concert Gebu Orchestra in the Netherlands uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, this is from Art House Music. Uh, it, it, Symphony Fantastique is just one of the great pieces of all time. It is absolutely wonderful. If you're not a fan of Berlioz, um, I don't know you. I just don't like you. But it is uh, it is absolutely wonderful. And uh, I'm not widely familiar with Bernard Heitink. But uh, this is from 1979, and the sound is staggeringly good, to be honest. And uh, then last from C major is uh, a a, a Christmas oratorio of Bach's. This came in after our last show, so we weren't able to squeeze this in with our our Christmas coverage. But um, this is a, a fascinating ballet staged to Bach music, to Bach's oratorio, uh, by John Neumeyer with the Hamburg Ballet, and uh, there are interviews on here with John Neumeyer and Lloyd Riggins, and uh, it is, this is really, this is really an interesting, fascinating, kind of cool uh, new holiday impression of, uh, of the Bach uh, put, to, put to dance. Uh, so you might want to check that out for, for next year and add that to one of your cool little holiday party uh, rotations, Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, Weihnachts Whatever, Soratorium. Anyways, the Christmas or- Christmas Oratorio. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, along with a ballet by John Neumeyer. And then lastly, uh, we have another three from uh, Art House Music. Uh, one is Strauss's Die Fledermaus, which is one of the great all-time light operas, uh, with uh, Pavarotti and um, uh, Joan Sutherland, Marilyn Horn. Great voices, all performed for the Royal Opera House. Uh, beautifully, beautifully done. Pavarotti, such an amazing figure. You know, I met him, actually. Oh, really? When I worked for Air France as a passenger service agent, he actually had to board the plane on the tarmac. He was that big. Yeah. Couldn't, and he was also that famous. You know, he's not going to go through the jetway and do like everybody else. So he got special service, goes out to the tarmac, you put the little stairs up, and he goes in the emergency entrance in the back, and he's already sitting down in his first-class seat by the time everybody else boards the plane. <laughs> you know Huge. what? Pavarotti had that coming. Huge man, Ernie, Ernie. En- just enormous man. And then we uh, we also have uh, the passenger, uh, which is uh, with the Vienna Symf- uh, Vienna Symphony, uh, dr- conducted by Theodor Kerensis. I'm all out. Of, I'm totally out on all of these uh, 
these, these new conductors. But anyway, this is a uh, two-act opera from um, the 1960s, kind of a new opera, not the greatest thing in the world, but it was uh, you know, kind of interesting to watch in, in pieces. And this is my favorite one of the week, uh, a Tony Palmer film, Henrik Goretzky, The Symphony of Sorrowful Songs with the London Symphony. I, have, um, I, I actually have it on DVD. It's it, phenomenal. It, it, it destroys me. It just destroys it's me. Ju- it's just phenomenal. I mean, Tony Palmer, for those who don't know, has done a lot of uh, feature films about great composers, most, most significantly Wagner, starring uh, uh, Richard Burton, uh, which is you know, a pretty heavy movie. But um, this is the uh, symphony that Goretzky wrote in 1976, and Goretzky's just such an amazing impressionistic composer. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you don't know, this is this is just such a devastating piece of music, and it also includes the third symphony, which is equally devastating. But uh, it really, this gives you not just the music, but it really gives you an extraordinary insight into who Goretzky was and and uh, why he wrote it and what the political situa- situation was. Um, and, and how this all kind of ties into the Holocaust. It is just it, the breadth of, of the importance of this music historically and culturally and, and socially is just, it's magnificent. So that is Henrik Goretzky, G-O-R-E-C-K-I, for those who don't know how to spell Polish names, um, The Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, filmed by Tony Palmer with the London Symphony. It is just wonderful mm. on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, that's all classic stuff. I'm going to knock off um, something a little bit more contemporary. Well, I'm not, it's a rock and roll and some stuff like that on DVD. Documented Richie Blackmore. Richie Blackmore is a very famous guitarist, particularly for folks who are who are nuts about, uh, you know, contemporary Joe Satriani and guys like that. Um, uh, certainly Eddie Van Halen would be a... Um, a protege of uh, of Richie Blackmore, Deep Purple, uh, you know th- some of the heavy rock guys of the '60s, and you know, but he his work crosses all kinds of genres of stuff. This is a neat documentary. He's featured in it heavily, as long as many of the as well as many of the people that he influenced over the year over the years. Richie Blackmore, I particularly like Richie Blackmore because he plays a Fender Stratocaster, and I do too. So uh, way to go, Richie! Another guitarist, <laughs> uh, Eric uh, Clapton, a uh, slow hand. Um, alive at the Royal Albert Hall in 1970. That's what this is. This is uh, this is just a fantastic, a fantastic two CD set uh, with Blu-rays, two CDs and Blu-ray. Speaking of Clapton, you know uh, Robert Stigwood, another person who just yeah, passed he away. just passed away too. Gosh. You know, you know, you know, you know. And the, you know the thing about these guys, they were old. I know. 80, 90? A friend of mine, a friend of mine on Facebook uh, posted something recently relative to, uh, not to Stigwood, but to the passing of, uh, of Schneider from uh, One Day at a Time. Oh, yeah, Pat Harrington. Pat Harrington, who was 86 or something. And, yeah. he, and he said, he said, all these guys that you think are in their 40s, they're in, they're in their <laughs> 80s. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, means that yeah. they're all, all... Don't say it. Yeah, Don't yeah, say it. Go, yeah, we should stop. Uh, another, another brilliant, uh, Jaco Pistarius, uh, the wonderful bass player, uh, you know, you're sort, of, sort of from that Frank Zappa period there. Jaco is just a, an, an astounding guy who did things with the bass that most guys can't do with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, melodies and harmonies and, and harmonics and all sorts of things are just bre- completely breathtaking. This is a, uh, a, a two-DVD set. Um, uh, and it, again, a great doc. Uh, he's in the film, as well as wonderful bass players, including uh, Flea and, and guitar players like uh, Carlos Santana and a few others, uh, talking about Jocko and the, the great work that he's been doing over the years. It's really fantastic. Joni Mitchell sh- shows up in this, too, so fantastic DVD there. Um, the Great Sun Ra. This, my dad. This, 
I have been waiting for this to come on Blu-ray for <laughs> so long. This thing has been like this really... I mean, it's a cult film, but it's been on DVD forever, and everybody's like, when is it coming out on Blu-ray? When is it coming out on Blu-ray? It's such a fascinating movie. Sun Ra was a true believer in his uh, shtick. You know, <laughs> That's he, one way he, of putting he, it. The stuff to do with you know, Egypt and, uh, and, and aliens and, and all kinds of stuff. But what he also was was a fantastic piano player and composer and musician. So whatever you think of the shtick, what I like about it is that it influenced so many stuff. So by the time you get to to the uh, middle 70s and guys like George Clinton are stepping out of the mothership, you know, the mothership connection, Parliament Funkadelic, uh, all of that stuff. I mean, Jimi Hendrix too, for that matter. All of these guys influenced by Sun Ra. Uh, you know, what musically, obviously, but also his sort of presentation uh, and ideas about things. So really, really, really... Uh, interesting stuff. So Sun Ra, uh, A Joyful Noise is the film. And, it, and this is a classic film, by the way. Um, bonus features include an extended audio version uh, of the performances in the film. So it's not quite as truncated as the performances, as the performances were when the film was first edited and, release, and released. Um, I also have a film by Roger, Mortars, uh, Roger Waters and Sean Evans, Roger Waters' The Wall. So this is a sort of retrospective film uh, you know, from the co-founder, and uh, you know, I guess he, you'd call him the principal the, song. The writer brains, with, with the, the brains Pink of Pink Floyd. Floyd. Yeah, that guy and the wall and everything sort of went on behind that. So this sort of goes behind the scenes of the creation of the record and the uh, and the and the concert and the stage productions and all that stuff. Lots. This is a Blu-ray. Um, you got a bonus feature here, um, uh, which includes some beautiful time lapses. Uh, that have to do with the setting up of the stage performances, so you can see how those stages sort of all got set up. Really, really neat stuff. DVD, HD with ultraviolet watch anywhere. Roger Waters, The Wall. Uh, pretty neat. Gil Scott Heron, who I think we lost, I don't know, maybe two years ago. Yeah, about like that. that. Lost Something Gil like Scott. That. Revolution. These are all Robert uh, 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 Muggy films, by the way. Uh, the, 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 the Sun Ra film. Uh, that uh, incredibly prolific film, the yeah, filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of which has to do with editing. So what he what he really is, in my opinion, is one of the best editors in the world. Yeah, you know, sort of the way he puts it. So anyway, this is Gil Scott Heron in Black uh, Black and Wax. A really, really, just a beautiful movie about an extraordinary poet. And I always really did think of Gil Scott Heron as more of a poet than anything else. A poet philosopher, sure. you know, a musician, a performer, yes, but he was a poet philosopher. Uh, and uh, he was wrong, though, about the revolution. It will definitely be televised. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Sinatra, all or nothing. Look, Frank Sin uh, uh, you know, uh, looking like Frank Sinatra uh, in, in this, on this beautiful DVD. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of great footage from 1971, from this 1971 concert. Although the film covers 60 years of his yeah. career. Uh, you know, what can I say? What are, what are we celebrating? His 100th birthday? Something like Something that. Something just it would, went by. It would have been 100, yeah, like, Something like 100. Like so, yeah. And Orson Welles were born about the same time, and it's about the Orson Welles centennial, too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so that falls there. And then, uh, you know, for pop fans, Katy Perry, uh, her, world to, her world tour album, Live. Uh, you know, not the biggest Katy Perry fan in the world. Kind of appreciate all that girl power. 
Uh, but you know, most she's bubblegum. Yeah, that's just know. what she is. And, and look, you know me. I'm a Spice Girls. You know when yeah. that Spice Girls record, when that Spice Girls movie came you, out, you and I were the only two that were waiting in line. That and Josie and the Pussycats. That's, baby. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I still have that soundtrack. It's it's a fantastic movie. I. Oh. But I anyway, think that does it for all our music. Well, a couple music. couple quick uh, music wrap-outs here. Just uh, two final ones. One is the uh, Rolling Stones from the Vault, 1982, Round uh, Round Hay Park. Uh, live in Leeds, 1982. This is part of the Europe 1982 um, uh, European tour, which was, you know, uh, Start Me Up and uh, and that whole that whole period. I remember very well when they uh, when they were in uh, Los Angeles around that time. This is two CDs and a DVD, and it's just it's just great. You know, it's classic Rolling Stones from sort of their um, their I guess I don't want to call it their resurrection, but they did have a second life in the 1980s that was you know they sort of went away a little bit in the 70s they weren't quite in groove in the 70s that was you know disco kind of marginalized them a little bit but in the 80s they came back full force and they were hotter than ever and uh, a lot of great stuff on here the cds are great uh, all great tunes great live performances and uh, the dvd is great as well jumpin jack flash is just uh, you know it is it is one for the ages and then the other one is a blu-ray of uh, lady antebellum uh, their wheels up tour i am not necessarily a, a, a huge country fan but i do like lady antebellum there's something kind of sweet and winsome about their stuff and uh, they they have a lovely tone and uh, it's this is uh, this is quite nice this was part of their uh, north american 2015 tour um uh, as well as uh, performances in Europe and Australia, and uh, this is uh, this is you know from mostly stuff from the album 747, and uh, it's a lot of great stuff. So it's uh, really really nice. If you're if you are a fan of country or not, I would say give it a look. It's uh, it's good tunes. Um, you know, Tim, let me go through these Paramount titles real quickly, and some of these are Paramount titles that are being released now through Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers has the license to release Paramount catalog titles which is why you get uh, Selma, which is a Paramount film, basically being released by Warner Brothers now uh, in a slightly more stripped-down version. Same extras, it's just not you know the splashy packaging or slipcover or any of that stuff. But um, So we do have a new, a new Blu-ray release of Selma in a reg- just a regular straight, uh, plain old stripped-down uh, Blu-ray keep case. Uh, still a great film and great extras. That is, uh, that is out again. Uh, new edition of Footloose. There's nothing new on any of these. These are just new releases, new packaging, uh, new pricing, uh, which, of course, this is worth checking out just for, the, for like, Kevin Bacon's screen test, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, new release of uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Bare bones, nothing else on here. Just Clint breaking his way out of the pen, getting out of the pokey. Uh, the bootleg cut of Almost Famous, the director's edition. This is out now in a new stripped-down version. Uh, same old great extras, though, including the uh, Cameron Crowe intro and commentary, along with the uh, B-sides, behind-the-scenes footage and uh, all the other uh, music video and uh, uh, featurette material. Uh, new bare-bones versions of Naked Gun, uh, two and a half and 33 and a third, the final insult, so the smell of fear and the final insult. Uh, all of these have uh, slightly less luster now, I think just because this this brand of comedy is kind of no longer really hip, you know? Leslie Nielsen, nobody really knows who he is anymore, and um, O.J. Simpson showing yeah. up in these doesn't really... Not not quite as funny as it used to be. Well, those those jokes. I mean, you know, they're kind of there. They are. Yeah. You know, don't call yeah. me Shirley. Yeah. 
and all that. Uh, and then also new releases of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I love that movie still. Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan and uh, Tina Fey. I still love that film. Yeah, yeah. Last and, time Lindsay Lohan was good. And the timeless Trading Places back when uh, Eddie Murphy looked exactly the same and Dan Aykroyd didn't. And I'm not <laughs> anyway, uh, all sorts of things I wanted to say about that, but I'm not going to. Yeah, John Landis, one of his, uh, it was kind of like his last big hit, wasn't it? Uh, big hit, big hit. Yeah, yeah. you know, a few things after that. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, yeah. in that movie, looking good. Yeah, uh, particularly from the waist up. <laughs> I tried not to say it. I tried. To, I, okay. I, held, I held out for like 15 seconds. All right. Then, then I just caved in and went for the boob joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Joe Dirt too. The only thing more ridiculous than my stupid Jamie Lee Curtis boob. Jamie Lee's a friend of mine, by the way, so that's okay. You don't nobody write in. Me and Jamie's good buddies. Uh, Joe Dirt too. Um, the only thing that, that's more ridiculous than Joe Day Dirt too is was Joe Dirt. Yeah. And I, I, back when Joe Dirt came out, I remember doing the junket for that. Talked mm-hmm. to David Spade. Everybody was there, and uh, you know we had a you know a nice little talk about this yeah. mediocre comedy that wasn't particularly funny, which David Spade knew yeah. <laughs> and plainly knew as I was talking to him. Because I'd be damned if yeah. David Spade didn't want to talk about everything in the planet. Except Joe Dirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> we never did mention that movie yeah. in our interview. So, but yeah, but nevertheless, here we are looking at Joe Dirt, Dirt too, because everybody needs to get paid. Um, also, uh, and it's sort of interesting uh, Blu-ray uh, set. Uh, there's a big ding there. I have no idea. No, what it was no. I think it might have been my phone or something like that. I should, I should turn them off before we come in the studio. <laughs> Zoolander. The thing about it's called Zoolander. This is, this is the, well, the, bl- the blue steel book or the yeah. steel blue book, whatever. The the, the, uh, the we, we've had fans kind of looking forward to this on the uh, yeah. on the Facebook page. And uh, let's be honest, the only reason this is out is to prime everybody to remember this movie because yeah. the new one is coming out. I got to tell you, too too much time between those two. It feels like it, doesn't it? Too much time between those yeah. two. Uh, you know, this was funny. Relatively speaking, mm-hmm. and only slightly so, uh, when it came out the first time. This is packed full of all sorts of special features. So you got your commentary track with Ben Stiller and the writers of the original film. Uh, you got a behind-the-scenes the featurette. You got uh, actually like three behind-the-scenes featurettes, some sort of a wacky thing that has to do with Zoolander's closet. Uh, and just more outtakes and music videos and public service annou- announcements and, and an episode of MTV's Cribs. And, and I think I might be on this thing. I don't know. I think I'm yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it looks nice. <laughs> and, and there's but... some sort of a little something in this box, too. I don't know what the hell that is in there. But oh. I think it might be that headband. That that, yes, it uh, is. that it Ben is. Stiller is wearing on it that is. box. It's, it is the hair headband. It's the hair headband yes, he's wearing on the box. That's what it yeah. is. So you know, look. At least if you buy that, you're getting all you're getting yourself yeah. all kinds of crap. Um, uh, better on Blu-ray, and mm-hmm. you, certainly this has been on Blu-ray be- before. Dark right? Day Afternoon. Dark it has. Day. This Dark. is this is a, a cool new edition. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, I love this movie. What I love about most about this movie is John Cazale, who we lost, uh, you know, years just a, and years yeah, ago. Yeah, uh, just a few years after this film, if I'm not mistaken. Every, every movie he ever appeared in was nominated for Best Picture, and he and he is just outstanding. Amazing. People forget what an amazing actor he was. Oh, so good. Uh, people also forget that John Cazale was Meryl Streep's old man. Yeah, yeah, they were they they you yeah. know she's he was at the, the time at the, at the time of the uh, the uh, the deer hunter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what the director's commentary here, extended interviews. Uh, it's it, Sidney Lamette. It's an extraordinary film. You can't go wrong. All right, we got a bunch of great stuff from. Uh, oh, you you I yeah, one more of oh, that. Just just because Frank Capra, you can't take it with you. All right, this is a 1938 film. So good. I, I so much prefer this film to the absolutely heinous. 
other Capra film that everybody loves, that stupid uh, Christmas I movie that I, I hate. I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it, but this, this, this is far and away yeah. a better film. It far is. Far and away a more... Anyway, you can't take, take it with you. Frank Capra, uh, Gene Arthur, and, Jamie, and Jimmy Stewart. This is Beautiful. a gorgeous-looking box here. Beautiful new Blu-ray book, yeah. Yeah, it's a book. And in uh, commentary by Capra Jr., uh, and author Catherine Kelson. It's a really, really lovely stuff. So check that, check that one out if you get a chance. So we got a great bunch of new uh, Kino Lorber Classics releases, as well as a few other just uh, regular Kino releases. Um, uh, gonna go through this real quickly, just so you you you, you know exactly what's out there. Uh, Ken Russell made a movie about uh, uh, Valentino, starring Rudolf Nureyev. That is a bit of a head trip, but it's got a great cast, including three of my all-time favorite leading ladies, uh, Leslie Caron, who I've been fortunate enough to meet, um, Michelle Phillips, and Carol Kane. Boy, isn't that an interesting trilogy, um, interesting trio. The uh, Anyway, this was uh, produced by uh, Winkler and Chardoff in 1977, right after their success with Rocky. And, um, you know, not, not a great film, not even Ken Russell's best film, but my goodness, what a fascinating movie. And Nureyev is so much better than you would have expected him to be. Ken, um, Ken Russell is so crazy. Oh, uh, and so Mark, Mark has a fantastic Ken Russell story. I'm not going to tell it, but remind Mark to tell his Ken Russell story <laughs> well, when he gets back. You know, we, we were supposed to interview Ken Russell at one point, and he stood us up, and it was just uh, it was insane. But uh, beautiful cinematography by Peter Suskitsky. Sus- Sus- whose name I almost always uh, mispronounce and wind up swearing. Uh, really great stuff. And the Seymour Cassell shows up in this. we got stories about Seymour, too. So anyway, uh, Valentino is out. And then also The Hurricane, not the one with Denzel Washington, directed by uh, Norman Jewison. This is the John Ford film with Dorothy Lamour and Mary Astor and uh, John Carradine and a lot of other great people. Um, uh, this is a, this is a really 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 good movie. Um, very kind of uncharacteristic 1937 John Ford film, and our good friend and former Lafka colleague Joe McBride does the audio commentary here. Uh, he is a, also wrote a biography of Ford that is very well regarded, and um, this is a this is quite an outstanding film. It really is. Uh, it, just some of the best performances that that Ford ever got out of anybody, and uh, Dorothy Lamour is very uncharacteristic here. So that is a wonderful addition. Uh, George Montgomery and Robbers Roost, uh, co-starring Richard Boone and Bruce Bennett, kind of a routine western from 1955. Um, not that spectacular, but if you if you you like George Montgomery and if you even know who he is, that's probably a little bit meaningful. Uh, Love at Large is an Alan Rudolph misfire, noteworthy only because it has really nice performances by Tom Berenger, Elizabeth Perkins, and Ann Archer. But uh, it is otherwise uh, a one of the 1990-era films. Yeah, I actually of, talked to him for that film it when sort it came of, out. It sort of buried him, actually. This, this, this was one of the movies that sort of put him under. Uh, Vicious Circle was the one yeah. that really put him under. But this one really kind Demi of started... Moore saved him a little. She made a movie called Mortal Thoughts. It started out with a yeah. different director, and that yeah. director sort of jacked it up, and she wouldn't get Alan Rudolph to finish that movie for yeah. her. But that one kind of took him out. This one really took him out. It's not good, but from 1990, if you're a, if you're a completist, it'll probably be meaningful. Uh, John Frankenheimer made a movie called The Fourth War with uh, Roy Scheider and Jürgen Prochnow, uh, which isn't bad. Frankenheimer made a lot of junk kind of later in his career, and this is also a 1990 kind of quasi-misfire. Um, uh, it deals with uh, you know, with uh, uh, 
what do you call them? Uh, soldiers of Fortune, basically, uh, yeah. and uh, takes place on the uh, on the you know in the Russian tundra, and uh, you know an American colonel played by Roy Scheider, and a and a Russian colonel played by Jurgen Prochnow, because you know it's, no, it's no sorcerer. Yeah, it, it's not, but uh, it's it, you know it, it's it's standard kind of '90s uh, spy action stuff. It's okay. Uh, the Siege of Firebase Gloria is uh, a movie with Wings Hauser and R. Lee Ermey that is kind of almost so campy you, you, you can't believe it. This is from 1989, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith, who, is, who does intentional camp. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure a lot of people necessarily realize that this – I think this film was, it was ridiculed a bit at the time because it was um, – it just it, – it, it, you know, came on the heels of um, – uh, full Metal Jacket, and Ermy was sort of trying to trade on his uh, his character in that film, and basically play it over and over and over. And uh, he basically plays the same thing here in Wings Hauser. You know, basically like a straight to video king of the 1980s. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, you know what? This is this is actually um, once you get into the vein of what Brian Trenchard Smith does, which is kind of broad. It's not a comedy, but it has intentional camp in it. Then you can sort of enjoy it uh, for the sort of off-base war film that it is, uh, set during the Tet Offensive, of all things. Uh, Joel McRae in Fort Massacre, totally just standard cowboys and Indians western uh, of the 1950s with people who made millions of these, including Forrest Tucker. And if you want to know why Forrest Tucker wound up in F Troop, it's because he made a lot of movies like that. Uh, another Alan Rudolph film, Welcome to L.A., which was produced by Robert Altman. This is a much better Alan Rudolph film. Indeed. Uh, this is, this is uh, Alan Rudolph doing what he does best, which is directing actors in very, very intense uh, situations and really kind of uh, you know putting a spotlight on the city of Los Angeles in both a flattering and unflattering way. And uh, great Harvey Keitel performance in here. Uh, Keith Carradine is great, Geraldine Chaplin, Sally Kellerman, all people that kind of come over from the uh, stock of Robert Altman players, written and directed by Alan Rudolph in 1976 when he was in his prime. And then lastly, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Twice Told Tales with Vincent Price. Um, This was Vincent Price in 1963 when he was basically doing kind of cheesy literary adaptations, most of them Poe, but in this case uh, Hawthorne, uh, that were all sort of being turned into... uh, Neo horror films. In any case, it's uh, it's a little bit cheesy. It's kind of silly. Uh, directed by Sidney Salkow, who is certainly no Roger Corman. But you know what? Vincent Price, even when he's in something that's a little bit cheesy, he's always a lot of fun. And there's a great commentary on here from uh, Richard Harlan Smith and Perry Martin, uh, who are both film historians who contextualize it beautifully. So um, there you go. That is Twice Told Tales with Vincent Price. Always priceless. Uh, you know, I can I can watch those Vincent it doesn't make me any difference. I don't no. care because it's, it's fine with me no matter yeah. what. Uh, I'm going to leave that stack to you because okay. I, I know a little bit about these right here, and, and including this particularly good film, Michael Curtiz film. Um, the other good Michael Curtiz film with Humphrey Bogart, Passage, Passage to Marseille, uh, with that whole with that with, with that whole um, um, uh, that that same cast, Claude Rains and Sidney Greenstreet and everybody. This is a really Peter Laurie. This is a really really good film, 1944 film. Uh, it's just, but it's an action film, um, uh, unlike Casablanca. This is a mo- this film moves uh, very very quickly and has lots of sort of uh, captivating action sequences in it. Um, and y'all, you know, I think neat special features on here. You have a night at the movies uh, from one of the you have a uh, Oscar nominated musical short, uh, a cartoon. Uh, you know, you pick up this Blu-ray and it will be like you're going to the movies in 1944. 
uh, like actually going to the movies in 1944. Um, I'm, I'm glad you let me do this one too. Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. Oh, that Linda I, Carter and Jesse Vent. Linda Carter. Dude, I can remember when this when this movie came on television in 1970, whatever the hell it was, when it actually came on television. Mark Lester film. This is a Mark Lester film. Yeah. And I, I absolutely adored this film and first fell in love. This is before she played Wonder Woman. Linda Carter is Wonder Woman, uh, for folks who can't remember who she is. Uh, and and she sings now. Like, she yeah. appears at, in, in, you know, clubs doing, like, torch song stuff. Uh, it, it's fantastic. I can see that. It's, it's yeah. funny. The, uh, the lead into this box says, the, the stunning physical charm of Linda Carter, TV's Wonder Woman, is first fully exposed <laughs> to oh. film goers. In go. this rousing adventure, it's because she does a topless scene in the show, and I got to tell you uh, that imprinted me when I was a young man, and it's still there, and I adore her to this day. So uh, this is pretty neat too, by, by the way. It has uh, special features, including an audio commentary with the director Mark Lester and a few other people, and some on-camera interviews. And I got Queen of the Blood over uh, Queen of Blood over here, which is a pretty neat um, old sort of blood and guts movie with John Saxon. Uh, Dennis Hopper and the great Basil Rathbone. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those sort of alien uh, invasions. Mm. It's just like aliens, yet like vampires all together in the same movie, which is a little bit wacky. But I tell you what, I can watch this. This is a Roger Corman film. I can watch this stuff all, all day long. I can just put it on and look at it. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. So that's doesn't a Roger Corman film. Kino, from Kino Lorber, uh, special features include an interview with Roger Corman and historian uh, Robert uh, Sakat. Fantastic. And we got four more, just four more we're going to cover. Uh, two from the Warner Archive collection. One is a Blu-ray, one is a DVD. Uh, the first one is the DVD, The Wind in the Willows, which has been done a trillion times, uh, most famously perhaps uh, by the Henson people. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's a great story, and uh, a lot of people may forget that Rankin-Bass, back in uh, 1983 after they had done all of those 1960s and 70s uh, stop-motion uh, holiday specials, and including the, uh, the, uh, their version of The Hobbit, they did an animated version of, uh, of The Wind in the Willows, which is not bad, actually. Uh, screenplay by Romeo Muller, who wrote all their stuff, and, and music by Murray Laws, who also wrote all their stuff. Um, Judy Collins theme song. It's actually not bad. It's kind of a cool little. Uh, it's a it's a cool it's it's a cool little animated version that uh, holds up well with all the other versions. And then uh, Deep in My Heart, uh, which is a, a Blu-ray, one of the rare uh, Warner Archive Blu-rays, is, is just outstanding. This is directed by Stanley Donnan with a cast that is absolutely to die for. Um, including is, including Gene, Gene Kelly's brother? This is, un, this is just beyond belief. Basically what this is, this is, this is a, 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 like a, a show, it's a, a Broadway show of shows. With you know? every, every big hit from every, from, from every Broadway. 22 yeah. songs, 11 different Broadway shows, uh, all of them just kind of mashed together in this fantastic cornucopia of stuff. And uh, it, it is great. I mean, you, you have Walter Pigeon and uh, Jane, Ferrer. Jane Powell and Sid Charisse and Howard Keel and it, Fred, you know, uh, Fred Kelly. And, uh, that is Fred yeah, Kelly. Fred That's Ke- Gene yeah, Kelly's Gene brother. Gene Kelly's brother. Uh, Rosemary Clooney. It's just amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Deep in my heart, it is uh, for musical fans. It is just beyond wonderfulness. And then, uh, lastly, the last two are silent film uh, collections from uh, Kino Classics. Uh, one is the uh, Moana with Sound, which is a Robert Flaherty film uh, that he made with his wife, Frances Hubbard Flaherty, in 1922, uh, based on their success 
with um, Nanook of the North. Except here, instead of going up into Inuit territory, they go to the uh, South Seas, to a very particular uh, to the island of Savaii, and uh, to basically do the same thing to the Samoans that they did to the Inuit, uh, which is not as legendary, but it is it is actually quite fascinating because. As you can tell from the title, it includes sound. It includes an audio track, which um, was was added in 1975, courtesy of the Flaherty's daughter, who went back there and uh, sort of, you know, did a did a redid the film and then re-released it in 1980. So it is sort of a fascinating family. Uh, effort over the course of many, many generations, Moana with sound. And then lastly is Louis Foyad's Fantomas, which is the original uh, collection of serials, five films on two discs. Um, and Louis Foyad, of course, is the French silent filmmaker who uh, most famously ma- invented the whole idea of serial filmmaking and serial storytelling. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't have had those Saturday morning serials if not for Louis Foyad. So Fantomas is his uh, is his interpretation of a very famous series of French pulp novellas, and uh, it's it's really great stuff. It's uh, it, it, this is this year is actually the hundredth anniversary of the film's release, and they did a great new 4K restoration courtesy of Gaumont and uh, the Cinémathèque Française. You got a couple of uh, audio commentaries by David Collat, who used to be uh, a film distributor himself, a DVD distributor. We used to work with him, and he's a, an amazing source of information. And then a bunch of other uh, shorts. So it is, uh, it is. This is a wonderful look back in time at uh, the 1913 to 1914, 15. Um, a, a series of really fascinating, uh, kind of pulpy, uh, silent serials. Fantomas by Louis Foyard. And with that, Tim. Yes, great. It's great. Thank you for being here these two weeks, and uh, we will chat soon. Uh, absolutely, I'll be All back right. again since Mark uh, you know, has to go make more. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you.